Hello and welcome to Flight Deck, an inside look at the New York Jets. I'm your host, Rich Samini. I cover the Jets for ESPN. We're coming to you under unprecedented circumstances for our city, our nation, and our world. I hope you're listening to this in your home because that's where you should be. Uh, please stay at home and be careful so we could attempt to stop the spread of COVID-19. Enough on the soapbox. You're here to hear about the Jets, talk about the Jets. And so uh, thank God we've had free agency for a week. Just something to keep us a little bit distracted from the real world events. Normally, I do this podcast from the ESPN New York radio station in Manhattan. But this is coming from the home office. So we'll call this the quarantine version of Flight Deck. We'd like to have a guest like we normally do, but I don't have the technology at home. So we're putting this together the best we can because we know you guys just have an insatiable appetite for the Jets. So let's talk free agency. After a week, it's been actually an unusual week for the Jets because they're not trying to outspend everyone in the league for a change. They've added two new players, Connor McGovern, the center from Denver, and George Fant, the tackle from Seattle. They've also uh, retained three of their own guys so far. As of midday Friday, Brian Poole, Alex Lewis, and Arthur Millette. So counting all the uh, returning guys and the new guys, they've spent $43 million in guaranteed money. Let's contrast that to a year ago. They spent $43 million alone on C.J. Mosley. So they've gotten five guys for one. So that's the uh, quantity over quality approach of this year's free agent. And so you're thinking to yourself, why are they being so deliberate, so patient? Well, for one thing, let's talk about the cap room. They began with just under $50 million in cap room. A year ago, it was over $100 million. I'd say right now they're somewhere in the 25 to 30 range. It's really hard to pinpoint it because the contracts are being processed slower because players are unable to take the physicals because of the uh, virus situation. So cap room is a big part of it. Number two, uh, you know, they spent so much last year that it's really kind of hamstringing their cash flow. Uh, they spent $130 million last year in guarantees, and that was actually a league record in the free agency era. So it's just, it's just impossible, really, or extremely difficult to do that two years in a row. They had the Bell contract, the Mosley contract, the Crowder contract. So I, I think it's maybe a source of some frustration for some people over there at the Jets that they can't do it again. But uh, such is the world. You know, you can't do it every year. And number three, it's just the way of Joe Douglas's approach, I think. He comes from the Ozzie Newsome school. Ozzie, of course, the former great GM of the Baltimore Ravens. He was always very disciplined in free agency. You, you know, um, of course, everyone overspends a little bit because that's just free agency and the nature of the beast. But Ozzie was always disciplined and selective. And so I think you're seeing that rub off on Joe Douglas. Uh, yes, they would have spent a lot on Joe Thune, but he ends up getting tagged by the Patriots, so there was really no chance there. Graham Glasgow was a guy that the Jets were really, really liked, but he ends up going to Denver. And the Jets had some interest in Jack Conklin. I think there were mixed feelings in the Jet organization about him. Uh, a good player, not a great player, so I think the Jets never really got into a bidding situation for him, which I think was a wise move anyway. Uh, so let's talk about the two new guys. George Fant. 
Essentially, it's a one-year contract. It's you know technically three years, but it's really one year, nine million. Uh, it's a little bit of a gamble for me because he hasn't played a lot of football. Only 879 snaps at left tackle in his career. He's been used a lot as a sixth lineman, a, a tight end type guy. He's extremely athletic. He's a former college basketball player. And Gase wants to add more athleticism to the offensive line, especially at tackle. He wants to do certain things in the running game. And, of course, pass pro is so important after the Jets gave up 52 sacks last year. So the thing is, you know, Seattle's a very smart organization, and they didn't bend over backwards to keep him. So that always causes you to pause for a moment. Why was that the case? Uh, I heard he was asking for $15 million in guarantees from Seattle, and they backed away from that. So uh, it's it's an okay signing. He's got upside, and the financial commitment wasn't too great, so I understand it. McGovern, I think he'll be the best center for the Jets since Nick Mangold, who left after the 16th season. He's a steadying influence. I think he'll be good in pass protection. He's an okay run blocker. Uh, this wasn't a cheap contract. Three years, $27 million. The $9 million per year actually ranks 11th among centers in the league. So not a cheap contract. I heard Joe Douglas just really, really liked McGovern and wanted to bring him in. We know a, a, a really a good center can do so much for the offensive line. It can just raise the level of the people around him. And the Jets haven't had a guy like that in a while. Now, I, I reached out to one of my personnel sources in the league, a guy whose opinion I trust, and asked him about McGovern and Fant. And this is what he had to say. He described McGovern as a serviceable level starter at center, said he's played some guard, and he can, but he's better at center than guard. He called him a smart, resourceful player, steady, not a difference maker, but he can start in the league. Uh, so that is not a glowing scouting report, but it's better than what they had at center. Now, Fant, he described him as a developmental guy early in his career who grew into a good quality backup swing tackle. He's been a fill-in starter, uh, so it's a bit of a projection on the full-time starting thing because uh, he called him athletic, can pass protect. He's not big, long, or powerful, but he has feet and movement skills. And I found this interesting. He actually said in terms of the, the size and the movement, he described him as very similar to Chuma Adoga, the Jets' right tackle from USC out of last year's draft. So uh, I think I think uh, my source here has kind of the same feeling about Fant that I had when they signed him. You know, a quality, uh, like worth the gamble, somewhat, uh, somewhat of a developmental player with some upside. And the thing about Fant is, it's not going to preclude them from drafting a tackle with the 11th pick. That is still very much on the table. If they draft a left tackle, they can always move Fant to right right tackle where he has played some in his career. So a lot of versatility with what Joe Douglas has done so far in free agency. And that is the end of the first quarter. Welcome to the second quarter of Flight Deck. Normally we do... Uh, a guest appearance here, but as I mentioned earlier, uh, not going to have a guest because we're doing this remotely from the home office, but I have something I think you're really going to like. I know fans just love lists and rankings and all-time teams, so we're in the first week of free agency. Let's do my all-time Jets free agent team. Uh, now, historically, the Jets have not been good in free agency, so you may shake your head 
at some of these guys, but, uh, you know, we're going to try to fill out a team. Some of them are very obvious. Some of them are a little bit of a stretch, but I'm going to restrict this to f- the free agency era, which started in 91 and uh, only count veteran free agents, not college free agents. So if you're wondering why Wayne Corbett is not on this list, I'm just doing veteran free agents, not college. So here we go. Let's start with our quarterback. To me, a no-brainer, Vinny Testaverde uh, from the free agent class of 98. Uh, running backs, uh, two Hall of Famers, Curtis Martin and LaDainian Tomlinson. I uh, really don't think you could argue with that. You're, you might be thinking, what about Thomas Jones? Uh, he was in a trade, not a free agent situation. Our offensive line, got some good ones here. Kevin Mawai, Hall of Famer. Jumbo Elliott. Alan Fanica, who I think should be a Hall of Famer someday. Damian Woody. And, of course, uh, James Carpenter will uh, occupy our fifth spot. I think that's a pretty solid offensive line. I'd go to battle with that line any day. Wide receivers, uh, kind of thin here. There really aren't a lot of great wide receivers for the Jets. I'm going to go with uh, Eric Decker on that list in free agency. They just haven't done a good job. And same thing at tight end. Uh, Cannot find a legitimate tight end that the Jets have signed in free agency. And I... Ryan Griffin last year had as good a year as any free agent Jet tight end have ever had. He had 41 catches, so let's put Ryan Griffin on the team. Okay, defensively on the line, again, not a lot of great options here. I'm going with Steve McClendon and Jason Taylor. My linebackers, this is a good group. I like this group. We got uh, Calvin Pace, Bart Scott, Eric Barton. A lot of people forget about Eric Barton, but he had a couple of really good years for the Jets in the early 2000s when they were making the playoffs. And Brian Cox, who was a really key addition on the 98 Jets. So those are my linebackers. Uh, My secondary is pretty good. I like my secondary. I'm going with uh, Ty Law at corner. I got Ty Law and Otis Smith at cornerback. And I'm going with... um, Ronnie Lott at safety. So I got a pretty good, and my other safety is Jim Leonard too. So I, I, I got a pretty good secondary there. I'm happy with that. And in terms of special teams, uh, to me, it's a no brainer. Nick Folk, uh, is a really good free agent acquisition who kicked for the Jets during their, um, playoff runs under Rex Ryan and a little bit after that had a long run with the Jets. So Nick Folk would be my all time free agent kicker. Like I said, not a great team. On some of these spots, because the, quite frankly, the Jets have stunk in free agency at some spots. But there you have it, the all-time Jet free agency team. Welcome back to Flight Deck and the third quarter. This is our Twitter mailbag. And I really appreciate, uh, got a ton of responses from uh, fans. So I got some uh, good stuff coming up here in terms of free agency rumors and rumblings possible moves. We'll get to that covered in all these questions. The first question comes from, hmm, this name sounds a little familiar. It's at Jumbo Elliott 76. Yes, it's that Jumbo Elliott, the former Jet and former Giant, checking in with this question. And just, I don't know if you guys know this on a personal note, Jumbo and I actually went to the same high school, Sachem High School in Lake Ronkonkoma, New York. I was two years ahead of him. And this is going way, way back. We were actually in the same Boy Scout troop together. John and his brother and I have uh, known each other since we were probably, you know, 13, 14 years old. So his question is, with what we saw with the NBA and the coronavirus, will there be a delay to the NFL season? 
John, I still call him John. Uh, I think it's possible. I mean, I think you're seeing, you're going to see a, a delay in the off-season programs, which begin early to mid-April. I think those will get pushed back. Then you're talking about a pushback on the OTAs. And so I think there might be some sort of delay to training camp, whether that impacts week one of the regular season. It's not for me to say. It would just be crazy speculation. But I do think you'll see an adjusted schedule with OTAs and training camp. Second question from at McMurka. Uh, what about a possible trade scenario for Yannick Ngakwe, the Jacksonville Jaguars defensive end who has the franchise tag? You know, we got a bunch of questions about him. He, he's a really good edge rusher. He's he's a fantastic, you know, he can get after the quarterback for sure. Uh, I think the Jets are probably looking into this a little bit, but two things. One, you'd have to satisfy the Jaguars with trade compensation. And I don't think the Jets want to part with premium picks. Um, you know, Frank Clark last year, similar situation with the franchise tag. You know, Seattle, you know, uh, traded him away for a first and a second, basically. So that's a lot. The Jets won't do that. You know, D. Ford went from Kansas City to San Francisco for a second round pick. Would the Jets do that for a second round pick? Well, I think that would certainly interest them. But then you're talking about the contract. You know, I think Ngakwe wants over 20 million guarantee and 20 million a year. That's a lot. I'm not saying he's not worth it. I just don't know what fits into the Jets, the Jets financial structure. So I would say that would surprise me. Next one from at Southern Jet NC, an old friend. And uh hope he gets to visit training camp this summer again. Everyone says how Pittsburgh had an offensive line that was able to hold its blocks uh, because of the way Le'Veon Bell runs. We know the Jets had to rebuild their line, but they take into account the offensive lineman's ability to hold a block so Bell can do his thing. Really good question. And so I did a little research this. I uh, went to my next-gen stats database. So Bell, always known as one of the more patient runners in the league, he actually improved in that area this year. He got to the line of scrimmage. It took him 2.84 seconds on average to get to the line of scrimmage. And that actually ranked in the middle of the league among running backs. Uh, certainly quicker than his final season in Pittsburgh in 2007. It was 3.09 seconds, which was the slowest to the league. So I think he made an adjustment to getting to the line quicker. Now, the question is about the run blocking. Uh, the Jets are largely a zone blocking team so a, a guy doesn't have to hold his blocks per se as long as he would in a gap blocking team or a man blocking team i think the jets used that sometimes last year to try to make it feel more comfortable for for bell but they haven't added great run blockers mcgovern as i mentioned earlier uh, more of a pass protecting center not a great run blocker and fant not a great run blocker. So I don't know if they've improved in terms of run blocking, but uh, I think they've improved a little bit, but probably have a ways to go in that area. Next one from at Denny Blenders. If the top four offensive linemen are gone by the 11th pick, do you expect the Jets to go wide receiver? And would they be interested in Jerry Judy? This, of course, will be the question going into the draft. First of all, I think that one of those top four linemen will be available. And if... Per chance, they're all gone. You know, I have a hard time thinking the Jets are going to pick a wide receiver. I just think there are so many of them, and you can get them in the second and third round, that I think they'd probably go with another position there. But I reserve the right to change my mind. 
Uh, okay, next question from at D, D Cron 59. Do you expect the Jets to trade for Trent Williams before the draft? Uh, D, you know, I don't think they'll trade for him at all because they have Fant and I think they're looking to draft a tackle. If they did tr- make a trade for, uh, Trent Williams, I think it would be on the second day of the draft. So say they don't draft a lineman on the first day going into that second day. I think at that point, they would look to add a veteran tackle. To me, he's too much of a risk. 32 years old, wants a ton of money, has had some injury issues, has been out of the league for a year. I don't think the Jets are looking that way right now. It could change based on the first round of the draft, but I don't see it right now. Next question, interesting Twitter handle, at account 316 what's the interest level in bringing back Jordan Jenkins? At this point, since he's had a quiet free agency so far. Yeah, he has. Uh, I thought he'd be scooped up by now. The Jets have made an offer. I believe uh, it was deemed a lowball offer by Jordan, and I don't think he's happy at all. I think he really wants to come back and play for the Jets. He loves Greg Williams. He loves the scheme. And the Jets evidently just don't value him that much. I, you know, I'm not saying he's an elite edge rusher. I think he's a good complimentary piece, but the Jets are lowballing him. And at this point, I think he'll probably go elsewhere. Next question from Balaki at Balaki. Uh, why are we splitting up Tremaine Johnson's dead cap this year and next? Shouldn't we absorb it all this year in terms of the dead cap? Uh, no, I think they're doing the right thing. They designated him as a June 1st cut. So of the $12 million that is left on his contract, they had the choice of taking the whole $12 million this year or spreading it out over two years. They opted for the latter. So it'll be a $4 million charge this year and $8 million next year. Now, I should point this out. As a June 1st cut, that change doesn't go into effect until June 1st. So right now, as we're speaking, he's counting $15 million on the salary cap, and he will carry that number until June 1st when it will drop to four million. I think it's the right it gives them more flexibility for this year, and I think they wanted that flexibility, so I think that was actually a good move. Uh next question from at Crows fifteen ninety four. Um let's see. Uh do the Jets brass expect a healthy and participating Quincy Anunwa in twenty twenty? Now good timing on this question because Sunday is a deadline for the Jets. If he's on the roster Sunday, his salary for 2020 becomes fully guaranteed. From my understanding, he has not been cleared for football activities yet. The Jets doctors are watching him closely. They're monitoring him. He's rehabbing from this neck injury, but he has not been cleared, at least not as of Friday, midday of full football activity. So they have to make a decision. My gut feeling is they will keep him on the roster in some capacity. If they cut him, then he's entitled, at least I believe, and I think they believe, his camp, to his entire injury guarantee, which is over $10 million based on the contract. So what's the point of cutting him and having to pay him more to not be on the team by then just keeping him under his current contract? So I think he'll be on the team this year. It may be on the pup list, but I don't think they're going to cut him. We'll see how that plays out. And last question, actually a bunch of people asked about the possibility of draft or trading for Brandon Cooks, the wide receiver from the Rams. 
Interesting question. Did some research. He's got three years, 37 million left on his contract. So you're talking about 12 and change a year. It's a lot. It's not outrageous. He's coming off a bad year. Did not. His numbers went way down last year. I know on Friday, his $8 million salary became guaranteed with the Rams. Doesn't mean they can move him. but just becomes guaranteed. Uh, I don't think he's going to be traded. They can't trade him. They would actually have more on their cap by trading him than keeping him. And the same goes for cutting him. So Brandon Cooks, yeah, he would look good in a Jet uniform. I think possibly they'd be interested. I kind of doubt it, but I I think it's a non-starter because the Rams, just from a cap perspective, I don't think they can trade him. So there you have it. And thanks for all the questions. We'll be back in a second. I love this because I get to share some thoughts, um, you know, from covering the Jets for 31 years. I have a lot of uh, memories and anecdotal stuff that I like to share from, you know, on the beat, so to speak. And so we're, we're in the free agency mode. So I just wanted to keep it to free agency and best jet all time class, 1998. The Jets made three free agent signings that really changed the uh, course of the franchise uh, with uh, Kevin Mawai, Curtis Martin and Vinny Testaverde and just had some interesting anecdotes from, so, so Mawai was the first guy to sign. He visits the Jets. Back in those days, guys took a lot of free agent visits. They don't do it anymore too much. But he visits the Jets. He sits with Parcells. And Parcells shows him a piece of a paper. And it has the uh, top 10 needs on the on the Jets team. You know, that Parcells scribbled onto a piece of paper. And number one was center. He said, "I, you know, that's why I want you. We'll make you the highest paid center in the league. And that's why we want you so badly. We want you to fill that need. And... Uh, Sure enough, that deal gets done. He becomes the highest paid center. We all know that Kevin got into the Hall of Fame last year. And so that was a great, great signing for the Jets. I think it really started a momentum for them. And the funny part of this, Kevin actually did not sign his contract in New York. He flew all the way back to Washington because he lived in Washington as a member of the Seahawks. And he formally signed the contract in the state of Washington just so he could avoid the New York state income tax. Just a little side note on that. A few weeks later, you know, things are quiet and free agency. All of a sudden, a few weeks later, they signed Curtis Martin. And this was a bombshell because Curtis was a restricted free agent. So they had to give up compensation to the Patriots. And a little funny backstory on this. The Jets really weren't going after Curtis, but they get a call one day from his agent, the late Eugene Parker. Just a cold call to Mike Tannenbaum, the cap manager, and he said Curtis would be interested in leaving the Patriots. And Mike's first reaction, and he told me this, he goes, this makes no sense. You know, we don't really need a running back. It's not high on our list. So he goes into Parcells' office and he goes, hey, Bill, Curtis Martin's agent called, you know, uh, should I just call him back and say thanks, but no thanks? And Parcells goes, wait a minute, wait a minute. This is Curtis Martin we're talking about. We need to talk about this. So they talked about it, and it took 60 hours of negotiating with Tannenbaum and Parker, all of it clandestine. They did it in secret places all over the country, in Indiana, where the agent's office was, on Long Island, where the Jets were. After 60 hours of negotiations, they come up with this very clever contract that included a poison pill, which the Patriots could not match, and he becomes a Jet. And Curtis found out that the deal was done in an airport 
in Hawaii. He had just gotten off a plane in Hawaii. He gets a call from his agent. His agent says, the deal is done. You got to come back. Curtis Martin literally got his bags and turned around and he took the next flight back to the States, all the way back to New York to do his contract. And that was a groundbreaking deal, not only for the Jets, but the NFL, because they outlawed the poison pills in contracts after that. It was, it was, you know, groundbreaking, as I said. And the weird thing about it is the one of all the hatred and acrimony between the Jets and Patriots, the only thing they agree on is they like Curtis Martin. I talked to Robert Kraft a few years ago on the phone, and the one thing, he loves Curtis Martin, even though he left. The Jets love Curtis Martin. Curtis Martin is like the one olive branch between these two organizations, and that was a great, great deal. And, of course, they cap it off in the month of June. Vinny Testaverde was a June 1st cut by the Baltimore Ravens. The Jets wanted to move on from Neil O'Donnell. Parcells never liked O'Donnell, wanted to get rid of him. Testaverde becomes available. And he was actually playing at a charity, not a, it was a celebrity golf tournament in Montclair, New Jersey. I was covering the tournament and I got wind that the Jets were close to doing a deal with Testaverde. I worked the phones the entire day from the golf tournament. I confirmed it, actually broke the story for the Daily News uh, at that particular time where I was working and the next day was a back page. The Jets are signing Vinny Testaverde. And sure enough, they did. They actually introduced him to the media at the clubhouse of the golf tournament at the Montclair Country Club in New Jersey, where Vinny became the quarterback. And technically, he wasn't the starter at the time. Glenn Foley was. But we all knew it was only a matter of time before Vinny took over. And so within a span of about three months, the Jets get Curtis Martin and Kevin Mawai, two Hall of Famers. And Vinny Testaverde, who, in my opinion, in 1998, had the greatest passing season of any Jet quarterback in the modern era. That is what you call using free agent agency wisely. They hit it on all three, and it really carried the Jets for the next decade. So that's this week's Flight Deck. I appreciate you stopping by. I, as I said, I hope you're listening from home. We'll try to do more of these now because I know you guys are craving football. You're craving some diversion from the grim circumstances that we're all dealing with right now. You can get this Flight Deck podcast wherever you get your Flight Decks, on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or on any of the ESPN flat platforms. Thanks again to Jeff Scopin, our producer extraordinaire, who's working from his home office for putting this all together. Thanks. We'll check in again soon. And more than anything, please, please be safe. <laughs>